Welcome back to Hated, Adored, Never Ignored, Episode 2. Thank you, everyone, for the kind words and support and um, tuning in to Episode 1. And um, unfortunately, um, Episode 2 has to be us discussing a Manchester Derby defeat. And look, it was a heavy defeat, maybe not in the scoreline, but in regards to the football on show. It was one-way traffic, which I'll discuss in greater detail later on in the show. But, um, yeah, I think no positives in regards to anything that we should be celebrating. But given the context and situation, I do think there was one or two things that was somewhat interesting in regards to a positive light um, in regards to that performance slash game. Um, but ultimately, uh, we come away with no points and um, a stark reminder of how far Manchester City are ahead of Manchester United in regards to football and ability. But that is for later in the show. A few things to get through today. Obviously, the Marcus Rashford situation, now that could have been played out a lot different if the goal that hit the underside of the crossbar in the back of the net proved to be a winner. We might be sort of viewing his words for the Players' Tribune a little bit differently, but I'll touch on the Marcus Rashford situation and how that sort of tied into the Manchester Derby defeat. And obviously, maybe finish with a little bit of, look, it's not Manchester United related at the moment, but Paul Pogba. Um, just in regards to, I'm sure everyone has seen the news that Paul Pogba has been banned for four years. So just touch on that because, as I said, um, Manchester United is the greatest story ever told. And whether you like Paul Pogba or don't like him, he is a huge part of our story, um, especially in recent years. And um, you look at the tag of this um, podcast, hated, adored, never ignored. It sums up Manchester United. But for you to tag that to a player, it probably sums up Paul Pogba like no one else. Um, he definitely is hated. He, he's loved. He's adored. But um, whatever we think about him, he's never ignored. We're always going to talk about him. And I just think what has happened to him in recent days, weeks, months, um, it's not Manchester United. It doesn't impact us, but um, I do think it is worth talking about because he is a part of our history, whether we like it or not. So stay tuned for that at the end of the show. Now, somewhat Pogba related in regards to this week's trivia question. We have had three French players score goals in cup finals for Manchester United. Paul Pogba being the last with his opener against Ajax in the Europa League final. Now, there have been two other Frenchmen who have scored in cup finals for Manchester United, three in total. Paul Pogba being one of them. Who were the first two Frenchmen to score goals in cup finals for Manchester United. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where I'll give you the answer. One should be obvious. One could be a little bit of a little bit of an obscure one for you. So have a think about that and um, stay tuned to the end of the show um, where I'll, I'll give you the answer. But um, but before that, a lot to get through. Uh, as I said, we'll touch on Paul Pogba, we'll touch on Marcus Rashford and obviously the Manchester Derby defeat. So um, sit back, enjoy the show. So I want to touch on Marcus Rashford, but before we get into that, and obviously with the Rashford situation and obviously the Manchester Derby defeat, Manchester United did win a football match this week. Um, it seems a distant memory, but Manchester United did win the all-important FA Cup tie away at Nottingham Forest. Huge game. Obviously, the mind does sort of go back to Mark Robbins and Alex Ferguson, and could this Casemiro goal be Eric Ten Hag's Mark Robbins moment, potentially? Fingers crossed. It's obviously going to be very hard. We still have Liverpool in the competition up next, and obviously Manchester City will very much sort of wait in the wing. So who knows what will eventuate in the FA Cup, but you've got to be in it to win it. And Manchester United did win. I hated the negativity before the match. Now, you're going to get that. I'm aware of that. That, that is what Manchester United is at the moment. But when the team news came out and Kobe Manu wasn't playing and Scott Tomlinson was playing and our feelings around Marcus Rashford at the time, if you went by Twitter, and now I know that's where I shouldn't be getting my football opinions, but it is out there. We we're going to get bumped four or five nil by Nottingham Forest, and it was a disaster, and the season's going to be over. And I was thinking, hang on, okay, this is not a prime 2008 or 2019 by Manchester United. I'm aware of that, but it can beat Nottingham Forest. Now, yes, we could beat teams like Bournemouth at home, but we ultimately get beat 3 nil by them. We can lose to any team, 
that's a huge concern with this team, but they are good enough to beat teams. Um, I think we do need to sort of get back in the mindset that yeah, it's not as good as it was, it's not as good as it needs to be, but we're not a relegation team. We're not a League One team. We can go to wait at Nottingham Forest and get a result and get a win, and I think we did. I think we deserved a win. Now, Nottingham Forest had a few chances. Manchester United had a few chances. Ultimately, the team that deserves to win is the team that wins because they take their chances. Nottingham Forest didn't deserve to win the match because they didn't score any goals. Manchester United deserved to win because they scored more. And um, I thought the performance, while not great, was, was decent enough. Again, it's not vintage and it definitely needs to improve, but both from the manager and both from the players. But um, I thought got got the job done and the FA Cup is simply about winning. And we got through. Now, I think what sort of stemmed a lot of the negativity at the start of the start of the match, sort of that hour before the match, was the news that had filtered through that we got Liverpool in the next round. I am somewhat confident against Liverpool. Now, we have no right to be confident against Liverpool, but I do think the way they will approach that game, Jurgen Klopp is playing a lot of the kids in the cup. Now, you say that, but they beat Chelsea in the cup with a bunch of kids, and obviously they got past Southampton with a bunch of kids, so who's to say they won't get, get past us? It is going to be a tough tie regardless of who they play. But I do think if we're up for it and we do play well, there is a chance whether Liverpool, if they do play a somewhat weakened team, I'm not sure what their fixtures are in and around that date, but um, they're there for the taking. Now, Manchester United are going to have to perform. There's a situation where we don't perform and it's going to be a long and embarrassing afternoon. But I do think if Manchester United show up and Liverpool have one or two wires elsewhere, I am confident of getting through against Liverpool. Um, I do think the Old Trafford crowd will be up for it. For one of Jurgen Klopp's last appearances at Old Trafford, he's obviously going to have to come back in the league as well. So I do believe that is our best chance to beat them in the FA Cup, maybe not the league. But um, time will tell. But I am happy we progress in the FA Cup. My season does hinge on it, and I bet a lot of your seasons do hinge on it as well. So um, yeah, I didn't get all the doom and gloom before the match. I thought it was decent enough, got the job done, and we move on. Now, we did move into the Manchester derby, but the person who was dominating the headlines ahead of the Manchester derby was none other, none other than Marcus Rashford. Now, if that shot that Marcus Rashford hit in the Manchester derby goes in off the underside of the bar in the back of the net and we win 1-0... We go back and revisit this player tribune interview by Marcus Rashford very differently, very differently indeed. However, we unfortunately have to forget the goal, which we'll discuss in the match review, because you don't want to go back and watch the highlights. You sort of want to sort of wipe any memory of it. A Manchester Derby defeat away, so unfortunately, it will be a forgotten goal. What a brilliant strike it was, though. But just go back to the interview. Forget what his performance, which we do discuss later in the review. Forget the performance, forget the goal in the Manchester derby and just the evidence we had when this interview came out. It's so hard because we get so emotional when we discuss Marcus Rashford. I don't think there was any need to do this. He has a huge PR team behind him and we saw the power power for good his PR team can do. You just look back at COVID and he was sort of untouchable by the, the English press. Now he's sort of public enemy number one. You thought... With his team behind him and him obviously maturing as a player and as a person, he wouldn't have to feel his need to do this. I felt it was a desperate plea, a desperate sign of sort of trying to win fans back. But ultimately fans, and this is not me digging out Rashford, I think a lot of players are sort of guilty at this at times, but we don't need to hear anything. We need to see it. Now, I think there is a lot of truth and honest um, opinion in what Marcus Rashford says. I do believe he loves the club. I do believe he wants to win for Manchester United. I do believe he is committed to Manchester United. Now, while there are um, obviously um, discussions and sort of eyes potentially to move at PSG, I think that's just football. That's just business. I think you can be committed to the club and keeping options and business ventures open. I think that's part of the modern game. But I do believe he is committed. I do believe he loves Manchester United. And I do believe he, he wants to do his best and wants to try his hardest. I do believe Marcus Rashford and everything he says there. 
We say a lot of things, though, as individuals. We say a lot of things, and we say the truth. Our actions sometimes speak differently. And Marcus Rashid's actions don't match the words. Now, it sounds good. I, I love the story. We, we all love the story of Marcus Rashid and his hardship growing up, how many buses he had to take to training to get to the cliff training ground when he was a kid. We all understand that. We all love that story. And that it's why we do love and sort of have so much frustration because we do love Marcus Rashid. But ultimately, Marcus, I don't need, and we as a fan base don't need to hear this story. We know it. We simply not. Actions speak louder than words. And you can say you love the club. You can say you give your all. Unfortunately, the actions don't say that. I'm not going to get into the Manchester derby in regards to that performance and that goal because it's such a unique performance. For away to Eddie had everyone's defending, everyone's chasing. It's hard to see what work rate is, what's tired legs, etc. Forget that. Just in regards to the evidence we have over the last, now to be fair, I've been calling it out for years, but what the fan base has been calling out over the last six months, year, in regards to his effort on the pitch, it just hasn't been there from Marcus Rashford. And I hate that. I hate calling players out in regards to their effort levels because here I am sitting on the couch on the other side of the world with a can of beer in my hand saying he should be running harder. It's easy for me to sit here and say that. It's definitely different on the pitch. And as he alludes to in the interview with the Players' Tribune, there is a lot that goes on behind the scenes that we are unaware of that we sort of have no right to be aware of. It's his personal life and things might be happening in his mind which make things sort of challenging and tougher. And by all means, that that is, I don't want to say an excuse, but it's legitimate reasoning as to challenges he could be facing. But ultimately, you are the highest paid player at the club, and that's not his fault. Um, he's well within his right to accept that wage from the club. But he's the highest paid player at the club. You're going to be in the public eye, and you're going to be criticised, not regards to your performance. Manchester United fans are very forgiving and very patient. We don't need you to score 20 goals. We don't need you to be a great footballer. We need you to give your all. And saying you give your all is one thing, and we, I, I do believe him. I do believe he, he probably even thinks he's given his all. But deep down, he's not. Like actions speak louder than words. And I did not. I didn't like the interview. As said, if we if we won one nil against Manchester City, we would look back and so that it would tug on the heartstrings and would love Marcus Rashford and would say it's a brilliant interview. Ultimately, we unfortunately have to forget about the goal. We only remember the result, and we are back at square one. And I felt it was a desperate play by Rashford and his team to sort of get fans on side. But I think it somewhat has backfired um, in regards to the fan base has sort of grown tired to this stuff. We can see through a lot of things. And it's a shame because, as I said, I've made this point before. If Marcus Rashford was a £50 million Portuguese signing or a £50 million or a £100 million Brazilian signing, I hate to say this, but our fan base would hate him. His behaviour on the field and his work rate, body language, etc., and also the inconsistency in performances, our fan base would hang him out to dry, would hate him. It simply is the case. Now, there is a lot of love there for Marcus Rashford, and we don't need to get into why. Obviously, we do know the story, and it is a huge part of Manchester United. But he needs to show more. I do believe that there is truth in his words, but coming out and telling us you give your all for Manchester United and then we see something different on a Saturday, I don't think it's a good look by Marcus Rashford. I don't think he's helped himself with this interview, and I think the idea behind this interview was to help himself, and I think it has backfired. So... um. It's a funny old game. Things can change. Um, go knock Liverpool out of the FA Cup in a couple of weeks uh, and you're back to getting a statue outside Old Trafford. Well, we will change our opinion very quickly. But, um, yeah, my thoughts on that Rashford interview, well, yeah, it's, it's, some of the story sort of does ring home and sort of remind you why you do love characters like Marcus Rashford. But ultimately we've got the stage uh, and situation as a fan base where we look at it and think the time for talking is over. You need to deliver and not deliver in regards to goals, not deliver in regards to creating assists or stepovers or great performances. Run your socks off for Manchester United. And he hasn't done that. 
often enough for Manchester United and to save his career, he's not going to do it by good PR. He's going to do it by getting the, the legs done on the pitch. And um, that is only up to Marcus Rashford. No one else can do that for him. Fingers, I, I pray to God that can happen. I pray to God he finds it within himself to deliver for us fans. That's on him, though. That's not on us. That's not on the manager. That's not on Sir Jim. That's not on the Glazers. That's on him. And um, time will tell. But um, fingers crossed that is the case. And he can kick on. Okay, so it is that time of the show. I say, unfortunately, um, Manchester United did come up a little bit short in the Manchester derby at the Etihad. I say a little bit short. On the scoreline, it was somewhat respectable, but um, the difference between the two teams was um, there for all to see. But um, we will dissect it, down the ins and outs, the positives and negatives, and there were negatives, but there were one or two positives as well. But um, got Jules um, all the way over from England. Um, good to see you, mate. A um, little bit of a time difference here, but... Um, How's the rest of the day treated you after the um, after the defeat? Uh, yeah, so hi Tom. Uh, I've had uh, my kids uh, at home today, so my son came back from a football party, um, and yeah, just putting the kids to bed. Uh, really, it's 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 one of those ones. That I, well, I've seen a lot of the Manchester City fans, and you, you don't want to sort of come across too many of them. Not that there are too many, but in, you're talking about a footballing party. Uh, I think when you look at the ecstasy when Marcus Rashford puts it in from a red half of um, point of things from Manchester United, but their own version in regards to Phil Foden. Phil Foden put on an absolute masterclass, and you can only just imagine sort of how sort of happy their fan base is in regards to that. Um, it is always good sort of having your young local product perform. We have had it at times, but um, it is Manchester City and Phil Foden's time, unfortunately. So he's probably having a bit of a party tonight. Not that I'm too much of a, too much interested in that, but we will get into it. Um, starting eleven, talking points of the match performance, and ultimately what the result does mean for the players and Manchester United. But Jules, cast your mind back an hour before kickoff. Um, team news comes through. Now, look, you could say Eric Ten, Ten Hag's hands are tied a little bit in regards to team selection. No, no Anthony Martial, no Rasmus Hoyland, etc. So, who are you going to play up front? Does it suit Marcus Rashford? Maybe not. You want to keep him out on the wing. So a little bit sort of tired in regards to the number nine position, but it was Bruno in, you'd say, somewhat of a false nine, sort of advanced midfield, false nine strike, however how you want to define it. Other than that, pretty straightforward in regards to the availability of players, but um, just your thoughts in regards to starting 11. Yeah, so as you said, Hoyland was a big miss today. Um, wasn't sure whether it would be a front three, maybe Bruno on the right, Rashford on the left, uh, or Rashford, sorry, through the middle, and Garnaccio on the left. Uh, but as it turned out, I think it was kind of Fernandez in that false nine, uh, McTominay supporting where he could, and then the two wide players, it was up to them to kind of get up and down. Uh, but yeah, there was there were not many options today. Uh, you looked at the bench and it was mainly academy products. I think uh, Anthony was on the bench, but really we didn't have many game changers. So I think the 11 really picked itself. Yeah, no, look, I agree. Now, before we get into it, so we'll go through sort of almost 1 to 11 and back to front and discuss the performances and the collective performance, but ultimately the approach from Eric Ten Hag. I haven't been on Twitter post-match. I'm, I'm assuming it's all Eric Ten Hag and look a lot of people, Eric Ten Hag out. I mean, a lot of people may be valid in regards to that opinion. We can discuss his future at the end of the season. But um, in regards to the approach, look, Whenever I watch a Manchester City match, especially against Manchester United, my main takeaway always is, how don't they win every game 15-0? Like, it baffles me. Like, every time they have the ball, think, okay, they're going to score here, they're going to score. And if they're doing that to us, I can only imagine what they're doing to the Sheffield United's 
and Burnley's. Now, look, ultimately they do go and win Premier League titles and Champions League titles, so they do win most of the games. But it always baffles me how they don't win every game ten nil. Like they are just unfortunate. I hate it, but they're brilliant um, in regards to the way they play football and the quality they do have. So, no matter if we were very good and Eric Ten Hag was playing very good football, Manchester City. I hate to say it, they're just the best team in the world to me. They're probably going to do that to Real Madrid later in the Champions League. That is how good they are. So, again, hands are tied a little bit in regards to we can't expect a free-flying performance away at the Eddie had. But it was one-way traffic. But I say one-way traffic, I think it was deserved lead we took in the first 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. I think there was a chance before that, actually, with uh, Garnacho down the right. Um, he didn't pick out the correct yeah. pass to, to put Rashford in. But, yeah, I think early doors, probably the first 20 minutes, I think we created two or three good opportunities. Do you think it was the the right approach, like in terms of every turn? Now, now, ultimately, you could sit here and say, "Well, City dominated and got the result, so it was the wrong approach." But ultimately, again, I think with what what he has at his disposal, at his disposal, and given our situation, I think it was the right approach. Now, very frustrating in regards to where we want to be. Should we go to the Etihad and just sort of be parking the bus? So is that Manchester United to what it should be against Manchester City? I understand the argument that's not where we should be, but um, given the situation, I was content enough with the approach it is ultimately just the better team won which usually happens in football yeah yeah it was phil foden was the difference between the two teams yeah, really he, he uh, was good like look, i always know phil fee's a top player i knew that but again when, mm-hmm. when you watch him close when you're emotionally invested in the match you realize okay he, he is a player yeah he, he really is uh but i think earlier on in the season we came uh, up against liverpool we we had a similar approach and we we ground out a nil nil which was another hard-working performance uh, when we've beat City in the last uh, couple of seasons under Solskjaer. Uh, it was probably a similar approach to today. So I think there's some success to be had against City with the counter-attack. Um, I think we've seen this try and go up against uh, the big teams away from home uh, under Ten Hag, and we've been thrashed four or five times. So I think it was probably the correct approach today and just the better players in the end wore us down. Yeah, no, look, I tend to agree there. And it's frustrating because, yeah, I think that there was a spell. The one time we actually got the ball down and played, it was, it was brilliant football. For the, I say this jokingly, but it's accurate. It was about 30 or 40 seconds. <laughs> we, we played the ball back and front. <laughs> it was a brilliant 30 seconds. So we absolutely tore through the tore through them. Then you think, hang on, do that a little bit more. But I think we got a little bit overexcited. And then ultimately, Phil Foden puts it in the top corner two minutes later. So um, look, I understand frustrations with the approach. But uh, I do sit on the side of Eric Ten Haga and the situation we do find ourselves in. And look, at something we celebrated on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Let's say Phil Foden's shot hits the crossbar and goes out and we win 1-0. And that's a Solskjaer performance. We're saying that's a, he's outdone Pep sort of thing. So football is fine margins. It's sort of hard to accept at times in regards to our situation. But I do think the approach was right, given the situation ultimately, though. Man City um, deserved winners. Now, back to front in regards to individuals, and we'll touch on maybe one or two talking points throughout the match. Andre Onana, look, he comes in for a, a lot of criticism, and rightly so, in regards to his start of the season. I think he's getting better. Now, this is not to me say that he's going to be Manchester United's future goalkeeper or I'm completely sold. I think he's performing better. Not He's not putting Peter Schmeichel or Edwin van der Sar performances in, but he's doing his job well, a little bit more comfortable with the ball. I thought we – City didn't really press us too high playing out from the back. They sort of allowed that first pass. They allowed sort of play at centre-backs, and our centre-backs were almost the one sort of to give the ball away. I was surprised, which worked to Manchester City, to be fair to them, so they obviously know more about it than me. But we played out of the back with Onana a little bit better today. 
I could just imagine a situation with Harry Maguire and David De Gea last season that Eddie had played out from the back. City would have been pressed right up on the 18-yard box. That wasn't the case this time. I'm not sure if that's Pep Guardiola being sort of having Andre Nader in the Champions League final last year, sort of sort of dictating one or two things there. So that, that was interesting. But um, thoughts on Andre Nader? Because one or two big saves as well. Now, ultimately, he's conceded three goals. Not, nothing can be done about any of the goals. But um, I think he's getting a little bit better. And in regards to a performance today, solid enough in a, in a losing team. Yeah, I think Andre Anana was really good today. Uh, the first half in particular where he made some some decent saves, uh, but his distribution was excellent. So we always look for that ball over the top. And I think that's how the, the first go- the goal came about when he looked for Fernandez on the break um, and he held it up off and laid it off to Rashford. And so the, the, one, once or twice others, uh, a few other times he, he went for it. Now, it didn't really come off. Like it just it, It's one of those risky balls. It has to be sort of perfect. And um, it didn't quite yeah. get it right, but, but the idea was there and the threat, if it did come off, you said, yeah, you can understand his thinking. Yeah, yeah, and that was probably our best route to goal. Uh, but in terms of his, his goalkeeping, he was he was comfortable coming for crosses. He, yeah. he punched clear at least three or four times, I can remember, and he, 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 he really cleared the box out well from those uh, corner kicks. Um, but yeah, particularly his distribution was, was excellent. And on the goals, I don't think you can really say much Perhaps the second one you could possibly. Which one was the second one? I remember. I remember Harlan's and Phil Foden's first was a. Oh, Phil Foden's yeah. for the. Yeah. Foden across the, across the yeah. keeper. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it would be very picky to to call that one. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. No. Look, it's it good. Be. Look, I've been very critical of Andre Nana, but he's he's making steps in the right direction. Whether he makes enough steps, um, to be Manchester United's number one in the long term, um, that's up for him to decide. But um, decent enough. Um, I am pleased with what I'm seeing from him so far. Now, centre-backs. Um, you can throw maybe Victor Lindelof into this, being a centre-back, but playing out on the left. I thought, look, I was in a very small minority at the start of the season who was, I wouldn't say happy, but very sort of content enough and deep down a little bit happy that Johnny Evans signed. I thought, oh, I like it. Now, that was my bias as a Manchester United fan in terms of watching him grow up. I always had time for him. I thought he was brilliant. Now, ultimately, he can sit here and say, well, we've lost 3-1. Now, he wasn't on the field for all the goals. I thought Johnny Evans, just against Haaland, just Rafael Varane as well, I thought had, had a decent enough game, but especially Johnny Evans, 36-year-old against the best striker in the world. I just thought, I just thought he did a good job. And Varane and Evans, while we have lost the match and lost it quite convincingly, as a centre-back pairing, given the amount of work they had to do in their own box, I thought performed quite well. I thought they were exceptional. And I thought... Uh, throughout the season, when they've played together, they've been really solid. Uh, Johnny Evans has rolled back the years. He's been an excellent signing. Very, very steady. His distribution's good. Um, and today, he was faultless. The one time, I think, uh, Haaland got away from him, or maybe it was uh, Varane, they brought him down, but it really was just that one time. Um, That's my thing. Just in regards right. to Haaland themselves, and I'm focusing on Johnny Evans, but you can throw Varane in this mm-hmm. as well. Look, Haaland's got his goal at the end. That was sort of a unique goal, just last minute off the back of Amrabat's mistake. Ultimately, though, Haaland didn't get much joy. Now, he's probably not the striker to go on to dominate the game and get get involved in the build-up play and sort of look like a great footballer throughout the match. But he didn't... Okay, he had that chance of the tapping of the, the first half that, that might change change our opinion in regards to how much space he had there. But ultimately, they gave Harlan nothing. Now, that might be a product of there was no space. United sort of defended quite compact and they couldn't really get the ball into Harlan's feet. But ultimately, um, yeah, the, the, the job they did on Harlan, here I am sitting here, I'm praising sort of defenders in a 3-1 defeat. I, I know that shouldn't be the case, but 
they, they dealt well with Harland and you cast your mind back to before the game when a lot of the predictions were four, five, six nil. Um, credit does need to be handed out to those defenders. I, I thought Diego Deleuze had a good game at right back as well. A lot of work to do in regards to Doku went out there, Bernardo Silva went out there at times. Victor Lindelof, I thought you'd say struggled, but I can't blame him for struggling in regards to playing out of position against sort of the best team in the world. It is what it is in regards to that situation, but just... Um, Sort of brought in your opinion there in and around the fullback situation, Diego Delo and um, Victor Lindelof in the afternoons they had. Uh, I think they were both good. Uh, Lindelof in possession was probably our weak link uh, in the in the defence, but I thought he defended well. Um, the goal that Foden scored, the equaliser, um, he he did manage to get the better of uh, Lindelof. He cut inside onto his left shirt, his left foot, but when you've got a defender. Uh, who's a centre back out of position against Foden? Who's is so quick? He's able to just dribble past. I thought that came space. from, in, in my opinion, and no one defends Scott McTominay more than me. Scott McTominay for th- three or four minutes before that was ba- box to box, back and forth, back and forth, and he just looked, he looked out of breath. And Scott McTominay has a brilliant edge. And but I was watching him for two minutes before that goal went in, and he just looked tired. And I think, oh, what's happened with McTominay here? And it, it, I think it was just a case of fatigue. It wasn't an injury or yeah. anything. It wasn't a lack of effort. And he was just shot. And I think someone made a run past McTominay, and McTominay followed the run. But it was one of those runs that you knew that he was never going to get the ball, so it was just sort of taking it away. And I thought, McTominay, you don't really need to follow him in there, but he has followed him and didn't really have the sharpness to go back in, where I think if McTominay was sharp there in regards to not too tired, he wouldn't have really followed that run. Or if he did, he would have cut sense that Phil Foden was cutting in and sort of double up with Victor Lindelof. So I'm not blaming Lindelof or blaming McTominay, but um, I think that is also maybe the byproduct of when you do so much defending you lack that sharpness in just sort of those one or two sort of split-second decisions. Do I step here? Do I follow that? And I think Phil Foden just, look, took advantage. If that's in a red shirt and that's a, the other the other random Bruno Fernandes putting in the top corner, we're not talking about defenders being out of position or weak foot or strong foot. We're talking what a brilliant strike. And um, Phil Foden, unfortunately, um, has pulled that in the top corner. Yeah. Uh, I think for the first hour, that's where, like you say, McTominay or one of the one of the midfielders there in the centre would have would have plugged the gap. I thought that's one thing we did really well today was making ourselves compact. Uh, we didn't really get out to the ball, but we were just making the spaces, uh, we're cutting the spaces out so they couldn't play those killer balls into the box. But, well, there's so many times yeah. I was Kobe Maynu, Johnny Evans at times as well, blocked Phil Foden mm-hmm. shots. I think Phil Foden must have had 15 shots, it felt like, but they're all being blocked. Yeah. And that was off the case of, yes, cutting in, but someone was coming to help Victor Lindelof. And just that one, he just yeah, found that bit of space. I think Maynard got wiped out, actually, didn't he? With, uh, yeah. with one of them straight at his, his forehead. Oh, did you see? I'll tell you what annoyed me there. Look, and they got him right in the face and sort of went down, head knock in the box. Then the ref goes and gives the ball to City on halfway, rightly so, in my opinion, because it was their ball. But then you cast your mind back, well, why didn't Nottingham Forest get the ball back when they had the ball? And um, a Liverpool player went down with a head injury the day before. That really pissed me off, to be honest. But um, that's not the same. Uh, yeah, they're not blaming the referee. But look, before you get into other individuals, not blaming the referee. We're well beaten. We're, we're battered, to be fair. The Rashford, um, well, the two Winstons, Rashford on Cole Walker, I don't think it's mm-hmm. even a foul. But if it is, like you, when you slow it down, and should it be slowed down in, in regards to the way they uh, look at things? Maybe not. That's up for an interpretation. But you can understand if it, if it is a foul, whether it is or not, but if you do interpret it as a foul, he's got to be sent off, you would think. And I just think that does change things. I, I don't have a huge issue with it not being a foul, but um, I could definitely see people being annoyed with it. The one with me is Edison on Ganacho. 
Now, if that's in the middle of the field and Roy Keane against David Batty or something like that, brilliant tackle, ball and all, fantastic tackle. And I do stand by that. But if that's on halfway and that's Casemiro on Rodri, regardless of winning the ball, it would be defined as reckless and cleans the player up. It doesn't matter if you get the ball. If I get, if you're there standing there and I tackle the ball off you but also throw a punch, it doesn't matter that I've got the ball. I still committed a foul. <laughs> now, Ganacho's or Edison sorry, has won the ball, but he has also cleaned up Ganacho. And I just think if that was on halfway, no one is blinking an eyelid that that's a foul. And I just think I can't lose too much sleep over it that it's not a penalty, but God, it might be, maybe it should have been a penalty. Yeah, I, it's one of those where I think the rules are applied differently to the goalkeepers in those situations. Yeah. I think, like you say, anywhere else on the field, if that's an outfield player, I think that's brought back for a foul and probably a yellow card for the for the force behind the challenge. Um, and the fact that he's wiped out the player after he's touched the ball. I'm not too disappointed, to be honest. Yeah. Um, oh, look, I, 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 I understand. I'm, I'm clutching at straws. I, I'm, I'm fully aware I'm reaching for this one. But, um, yeah, it, it just... Yeah, a bit, bit, bit frustrating. But um, moving back into midfield, um, that midfield three, so that you can discuss them individually or collectively, but McTominay, Casemiro, Kobe Mainu. Again, yeah, I thought uh, was... it's a hard ask. Like, you could say, mm-hmm. okay, they, could, they did well or they could perform better. You can have that. Any midfield three is going to struggle against them. Yeah, I thought they were very, uh, they worked as a three. Um, I think often this season we've seen United perform as individuals, but I thought they defended really well as a unit. Uh, Casemiro in particular, I thought he, he made a few vital interceptions and blocks. And the same with Mainu as well. Um, he was composed on the ball when he got it. And McTominay was able to uh, get forward and support Bruno Fernandes. Um, I thought they had good energy. Uh, but, yeah, when we lost uh, Evans, I think when yeah. the team shifted around there, when Kambala came on and um, Dallo was switched back to left-back, I thought all the structure kind of went to yeah. pot a bit at that stage. It's interesting when, when you look at that, uh, and I agree in regards to the stability of that midfield and you say, look, and again, what we're all saying is it's been nothing but almost praise for these um, this team after we've just been battered and, and lost to Manchester W. It is a weird sort of take on it, but I do agree with many of the thoughts. But just in regards to that midfield three, I do agree defensively a little bit more solid and look on the ball, it didn't quite get it done, but that's because they expended so much energy trying to get it back. But we, we look at that and we look at the performance and you say it was one-way traffic. It was an absolute battering. However, it's probably our, I don't know if it's our most stable midfield performance, but we never got run through. Now, you could say that's because we defended a lot more compact. Bruno Fernandes was a lot deeper and there was no real space for them sort of to run into or run through us. But So th- there is that ar- argument, but our huge criticism of our midfield and our, our setup this season has been so easy to run through. And if one team is going to do that, it is going to be Manchester City. Didn't happen in this game. I can't. Now I'm sure there was once or twice that they did sort of did break through, maybe break the lines, but it's not something that is a visible occurrence, which seemed to happen sort of 10, 15 times a half against whoever. But against Manchester City, we were a little bit more, or well, I say a lot more structured. Yeah, there was at least two back at all times. So yeah. rarely did you see uh, either one of Casemiro or Manu going forward. So the fact that they were not pushing forward meant there were less gaps on the break, I think. Do you think that's, well, instruction of Sierra Ten Hag is, is given the tactics for, for the game and the game plan 
Eric Ten Hag adapting to this specific threat of Manchester City or Eric Ten Hag adapting to the noise and, in my opinion, the rightful noise around Manchester United and the issues in midfield. We've seen Jamie Carragher, Gary Neville, etc., and every single fan um, point out the issues. Do you think it's a specific Manchester City approach he had to this one or do you think he's sort of coming to terms with the, the issues the midfield's facing every week? To be honest, I think it was a Manchester City uh, decision. Um I think he's talked all, all week about having a plan. And I think he's shown throughout the season he's, he doesn't really pay too much attention to what's going on in the media. Um, we all know there's been massive gaps in midfield and he, he's he's consistently rolled out the one defensive midfield and two further forward all season. So, yeah, I do think it was very much due to the opposition, really. Yeah, no, look, I tend to agree there. Like, if he had his ideal scenario um yeah i do think he would approach it differently but um yeah the, the situation men or the threats man city do pose you can you can fully un- and rightfully change it you, you can't be stupid and naive against a team like that it is going to end up a little bit embarrassing but moving into the front three you throw bruno fernandes that in that front three even though we do sort of do class him as a midfielder but um alejandro ganacha and marcus rashford now you might as well start on rashford I've touched on yeah. his Tribune interview, but in regards to the goal itself before the performance, um, I hate when a great goal like that comes in a defeat because you kind of just have to forget it. You don't really want to watch the highlights, anything. And it's such a brilliant goal. It should have been an iconic goal in regards to celebrating in front of the away fans. Unfortunately, we do have to forget about it. But um, after the week he's had, to sum up your emotions um, when that hit the back of the net. Oh, I, was, I was so happy. Uh Obviously, he came out with the statement earlier in the week, and I think it's a good reminder to fans that footballers are humans, really. Um, and he's he's got emotions, and he's dealing with things. Uh, and when he put that ball in the net, I think it was on eight minutes. What a strike! It was a fantastic strike. In terms of his performance today, I didn't think he actually had a, a particularly good game. I think um, yeah. he didn't hold the ball very well, um, and at times he he looked weak particularly on the, the challenge by Kyle Walker. Um, Do you think he was... To the goal. Whoever Marcus Rashford plays against on the wing, Rashford usually has the physical superiority in regards to speed going past them. Do you think, in my opinion, it's, I think he can go past Kyle Walker at times. I think Kyle Walker can go past him at times. Whoever has the better time in their run or whoever's controlling the ball, etc., sort of might dictate who wins that race. But I just felt... and. I would shit myself against Kyle Walker in regards to a physical battle. He would beat me, so I'm not criticising Marcus Rashford. But it just seemed Marcus Rashford was mentally a little bit scared of sort of challenging Kyle Walker and said, oh, look, I'm not going to run past him, so I'm not, not even going to bother. But I just think once or twice, if he if he backed himself, he might have been able to sort of get a little bit more joy. But I think he was physically a little bit sort of nervous going up against him. Yeah, exactly that. I thought he looked intimidated by Kyle Walker, yeah. actually. Um, and that was highlighted on the through ball where uh, I can't remember who it was. They played it over the top. Rashford oh, he tried one to, on one. The header, he tried to knock and, it down. Yeah, that's right. I think he saw Kyle Walker two or three yards behind him and he just took his eye off the ball. He didn't get it under control properly. Yeah. I think he was intimidated by Walker. I mean, I think most people are. He's, he's a bit of a physical beast. But yeah. Look, he, he, he is a score. I saw Rio Ferdinand during the week putting Kyle Walker in an all-time Manchester Derby 11. And you think, well, look, Gary Neville was great and Gary Neville would still be there for me, but you can't argue uh, whether we like Kyle Walker or not, especially off-field, <laughs> his off-field issues as well. He is um, he is a nightmare to play against if you're a left-winger. Um, he does have it all, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, look, I agree with Marcus Rashford. We're having a very different discussion about his performance if we win 1-0, um, and it's that goal. 
ultimately the, the goal is forgotten somewhat and you look at the performance and yeah no look not not to hang him out he wasn't the worst performer but ultimately just didn't do enough uh, it is it's an unfortunate situation i'm probably gonna actually almost throw in the same category um in regards to on the other side in regards to yeah, maybe did okay um not a disaster but you compare it to, I think if you put Rashford or Ganacho in Manchester City's front three in that game, they have a lot of joy. Um, and you put Doku and Bernardo Silva in, in our front three, they're, they're probably not going to get as much. So not to be too critical of those players, I thought did well enough, but yeah, a hard task for both of them. Yeah, I thought um, Garnacho in particular had a, a bit of a difficult afternoon. Um, he did uh, some of his runs in behind Ake in the first half, uh, caused some doubts in Ake's mind. I think he dropped off for the goal and he, he played um, Fernandez onside just because I think he was scared of that threat in behind from Garnacho. Second half, he didn't really see the ball at all, uh, to be honest. Uh, so mm. it's all a learning curve. I mean, he's very young. And he's played a lot of football the last few weeks. He's probably a bit tired. He looks a bit tired in recent weeks, Garnacho. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's something we often do forget in regards to his age. I think he's his first team regular now. He's on a new contract. Well, we treat him as one of the sort of senior, not senior players, but sort of a part of the furniture. But yeah, given the context, um, his sort of first real full season last season was sort of in and out here and there. But um, yeah, he's a mainstay now, and that, that's a physically demanding toll on the body. And um, everyone sort of develops differently. So I think he's starting to get a little bit more physical. He's starting to bulk up a little bit, you can see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that'll be the same. So it'll be interesting to see how Ganacho does develop in the future. But um, look, that's pretty much all the talking points in regards to the games. Yeah, there's not much about the goals. Sort of Arabat came on. It is what it is in regards to that. I think any player could have made that mistake. It's unfortunate when a player who sort of isn't hitting the ground running and sort of endearing. Not that anyone dislikes Amrabat, but his performances aren't sort of setting the world on fire or endearing himself to Manchester United fans for him to come on just sort of adds weight to maybe his future being away from Old Trafford. So it's look, it's a shocking mistake, but look, it didn't lose this game. We're already losing. So oh, I'm not going to lose too much sleep over that mistake, but um, it was a bad one. My main thing discussion, and I, I think I said, it might have been you. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I do remember potentially seeing a tweet, and it jogs my memory that it might have been you. And it's something I sort of picked up on that I haven't discussed with anyone. Amari Forson, when he came on. Look, I, I like any young player yeah. who, who comes on and sort of represents Manchester United Academy product. And it's great to see him involved and Eric Ten Hag has faith in him. The criticism I've given, what the fan base, but especially may have given Marcus Rashford over the years in regards to his work rate. In my opinion, he's right. Um, he's on a lot of money. Uh, we demand the same from Amari Forson, Marcus Rashford, Andre Nana, Diago Dela. You're on that field, you give 100%. I don't believe Marcus Rashford has done that often enough in a red shirt. Amari For and we often give, no matter what we see, when a youth player comes through, even if they do nothing, we say, that's how you play. You play with passion. Look at the young player um, coming through. They know what it means to play for the club. Omari Forson, when he came on, now we can get into his ability if someone thinks he's good enough or not good enough. I personally don't think he has what it takes to make it at Manchester United, but, but that's a discussion in and around his ability. I understand the, the way the Eddie had with the way they moved the ball. Sometimes it can look like you're not trying in regards to you just want to stay in a position. You don't want to sort of bust a gut to go and press and you get played around. So I understand keeping your shape and sort of not expending too much energy. Amari Forson, though, he walked around and I just thought I could not get my head around it because, as I said, when a youth player comes in, the one thing you can expect is them just run around, even like a headless chicken at times, look at Hannibal away at Anfield. Just go on and make something happen. Make it hard for whoever you're playing against. Omari Forson came on and just 
I don't know if disgrace is the word. I, I said I don't like to go over the top, but my God, it was close to it. Uh, maybe I'd have to go back, watch it back. I don't want to watch the last 10 minutes. But when he came on, I thought if that's Mark, thank God that wasn't Rashford because that was Rashford. He would be getting called out. And I think if we call him Rashford out, the young player or not, you've got to call Forson out. I thought he was shocking when he came on. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It was my tweet and I did say he was a disgrace. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I had a feeling on my yeah. Brain, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think with, with Academy products, we're not, we don't like to criticise them, especially for their work rate because you, you like to think they bleed Man United. Uh, but when he came on, all I saw was a player that just watched people run by him. Yeah. If, if you see the highlights back again, you'll see it. A couple of times, people just glided by him from, from their defence, uh, and he just wasn't tracking at all. I can't speak for his ability. I haven't seen much of him, to be honest. I've only seen him in the first team. I don't know his history in the, the youth team. Uh, by all accounts, he's possibly stalling on a contract, for the summer. I think he's out of contract in the summer. Uh, I'm not suggesting that's got anything to do with it, but yeah. I don't know. I don't I don't think he's got a future from what I've seen. And certainly his work rate today was not of the standard of the rest of the team, that's for sure. Yeah, look, if I'm sitting on the side or standing on the side with Eric Ten Hag, um, that was a telling performance or a telling cameo when he came on, if I'm deciding his future. Um, he hasn't done himself any favours. But, um, look, maybe there's a situation here we are discussing Marcus Rashford and the Players' Tribune in regards to off-field issues and something might be in his head. Who knows? Something might have been up with Forsen. But we need action. And the actions didn't um, result in what we wanted on the pitch, unfortunately. So um, that's about it in regards to the City Review. As I said, look, Jules, here we are being quite positive in and around that performance and individuals say he did well, he did well, that that was okay considering the circumstances. And I do share all that, and I believe it, and it's sort of both honest opinions there. But ultimately, I also stand by the opinion that we were battered in that match. And I just think we have lost to Manchester Derby 3-1, and um, it feels like I should be throwing the toys out of the pram and really angry and pissed off with this and that. But I also am, I wouldn't say proud or positive or glad, but just in regards to the discussion we've had, it was kind of just okay. Yeah, I mean, it's... I think in the, uh, the English commentary, they said it's the hope that kills you because yeah. I think there were two or three times when perhaps if we'd chosen a better pass in the final third, we could have had another good, good opportunity. I think we only ended up with about three shots in the end, but it felt like there was always going to be a chance yeah. on the break throughout the match. Um, and there were probably spells where we didn't create much at all for 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, but yeah, um, I think in the main, I think defensively we defended very well. Obviously, the Amrabat mistake is probably the, the one time we switched off. Uh, it was just going forward. We didn't pick the right decision at times. Uh, and also with the work rate of the players, I think by the time they did get the ball on the wings, especially Rashford and Garnacho, they're kind of just out of steam, really. Yeah. Uh, but as fans, we just ask that they try their best. They put in 100% work rate. And I think in the main, that's what happened today. Yeah, no, look, I agree. And it's one of those ones, um, yeah, that the hope that kills you, the expectation, or we treat ourselves as Manchester United fans going away to Manchester City, we should do this, we should do that. We do know the situation we have put ourselves in, or the club has put ourselves in over the last 20 years. Now, hopefully that is sort of coming to an end and it's going to be a far brighter 20 years ahead and hopefully Manchester City's 115 charges catch up with them. And um, I have to say, and look, in regards to... This, Jules, I'll finish on this in regards to my hatred for Liverpool. When Marcus Rashford went in uh, and scored that goal, the euphoria, absolutely loved it. That was brilliant. 
And then in the bottom corner of the screen, they bring up the, the live Premier League table. And I see Liverpool have like a four-point gap or, or whatever it was. And I think, oh, hang on. I could do with a City goal here in regards to closing that gap. I don't want to see Liverpool um, winning the title. But that is an unfortunate sort of discussion we do have to have as a fan base in regards to a lesser of two weevils um, at the end of the season. But um, it's a good one for the title race. I do think Liverpool play City next week. Yeah, I think they're coming up, aren't they? Uh, is it next week? Uh, I think the commentary said that. I do have the commentary low at 2.30 in the morning, so I don't wake up the house. But, um, yeah, I do think they play each other next week. But um, it is one of those. Hopefully, we are entitled to discussions um, in the near future. It's not the case now. Um, we do have to sort of scrape some positives after a derby defeat, but we will do that. Um, other channels, other platforms might be throwing their toys out of the pram and sack him and sell him sort of thing. I don't think that's the debate that needed uh, needs to be had today. Um, I do think there are many sort of contexts you do need to apply. But... Um, Jules, I never liked discussing a Man United defeat, so I would say I enjoyed it, but um, it's probably a lie. But in saying that, um, I do feel a little bit better probably um, for getting a few of those opinions and thoughts off the chest, and we can look forward now to it's, it's Everton. Um, this Manchester derby for us here in Sydney was 2.30 on a Monday morning, which is probably as bad as it gets. 3.30, you can kind of stay up after it, but 2.30 was a tough one. But um, Everton next week is lunchtime kickoff in the UK on a Saturday, which means Saturday night, 11.30. So if you are here in Sydney... Um, Scruffy Murphy's will be showing the match with the Man United Supporters Club um, at 11.30 on uh, Scruffy Murphy's on Saturday night. So come down, have a couple of beers and um, Man United at home to Everton, Jules. Now, look, we've been at home to Bournemouth this season, Brighton, Crystal Palace, all those teams, and they've turned us over. So you can't ne never be too confident. But at the end of the day, it is United versus Everton at Old Trafford. Um, give me a confidence rating. Uh, I think an eight. Uh, I think Everton have only picked up, is it four points in the last 10 games or something? I think they started After to struggle a, a touch. Yeah. yeah, they had a good start under Sean Dyche and then uh, have dropped off in recent weeks. Um, hopefully, we may have one or two players back. Uh, I think Hoyland maybe yeah. is close to a return. I, I think he was so a miss. Think... Not, that, not that it would have been yeah. a different game, a city or still city. I think with Hoyland, mm -hmm. just maybe occupy their centre-backs a little bit more, maybe... Bruno Fernandes may be a little bit more creative in regards to setting Rashford or Ganacho free from the middle. I, th I think Hoyland was a miss. Yeah, I think without him, we've been a bit toothless. Mm. Um, and obviously, Martial is a, a constant yeah. injury. So we don't have any backup in that position. Yeah, definitely. It was interesting when the lineup came out. Is it McTominay in the false nine? Is it Bruno in the false nine? It ended up being a bit of a mix of both, more, more so Bruno. But um, fingers crossed, let's say Hoyland is back next week but um look been a pleasure having you on jules definitely have you on again um you follow jules it'll be on, on my twitter when um, the podcast is live go give him a follow and have a chat and um look pleasure as always mate and um enjoy the rest of your week yeah thanks tom and you just to wrap up this week's show paul pogba now, he's obviously no longer a Manchester United player, but I do believe um, the news is somewhat Manchester United-related in regards to he is a huge part of our story, whether we, we like that part of the story or not, whether we like the individual or not. Paul Pogba is an academy product who came through, had the world at his feet, um, had his own story in his first stint. Should he have got a new contract? Should he not have got a contract? Fergie's relationship with Mino Raiola, his debut, Paul Scholes coming out of retirement. Paul Pogba's story... Um, is there is there for all to see and it, it is a fascinating story he then leaves manchester united goes on to sort of perform at an extremely high level and sort of develop extremely well 
at Juventus and he comes back to Manchester United for a world record fee and it divides opinion. Probably no player in world football, Manchester United especially, but even world football has divided opinion like Paul Pogba. Um, as I said, it is a fascinating story, whether you like him or hate him. Um, he's always in a talking point. He, here we are on this podcast, hated, adored, never ignored. It sums up Manchester United, but it probably sums up Paul Pogba, to be fair. And we all sit here and say wasted potential, sort of never achieved what he really should have, but he can then sit there at the end of his career, which he might be at the end of his career now, which we'll get into, but he can sit there and say, well, I scored in a World Cup final and won a World Cup with France. So he has achieved, um, you'd say, the lot. Um, obviously, the Champions League does it, it does elude him, but um, there's won domestic titles, Cups, and the World Cup. So, um, yeah, Paul Pogba, four-year ban for doping. Now, I don't have the information in front of me what the ban sort of was specifically for, but I just want to share my thoughts in and around the, the situation now. Ultimately, that will be appealed and he will not be banned for four years. I still can entertain a discussion that his career is over. Let's say it is a two-year ban. What's it going to be like with his injury record coming back? Is he going to be at the... He'll play football again. Will it be at the top level in regards to European competition? You would say no. Um, you think maybe he goes and sort of finishes his career in Saudi Arabia. But the reason I don't believe it will be a four-year ban is... Other players get this ban or other players will sort of get found guilty and even sort of with intentful use. Um, Paul Pogba sort of is claiming his innocence in regards to this potentially a tainted supplement, which is quite common. Now we'll get into um, someone's intent, etc. But a tainted supplement is definitely a thing. It's a very easy excuse to throw out there, but that is the defence Paul Pogba is using. But even players who are guilty um, of doping, get an eight-month ban, a nine-month ban, maybe a year ban, potentially even a two-year ban, and then even with that appeal, that'll get knocked down to a year. I do not believe there is any precedent for a four-year ban. Now, if they can find sort of intent with Paul Pogba really trying to cheat the system and they want to set an example, maybe that is the case that he gets a four-year ban. I don't think that'll happen. I think it'll be reduced. But even reducing a four-year ban is still going to be lengthy, um, a lengthy suspension. So... I do believe his career um, is done, especially at the top level. Whether he goes and plays in Saudi Arabia will be seen um, in a couple of years' time. But my overriding emotion with this one is just because, as I said, he is part of Manchester United's history, uh, whether it's a good part or a bad part, he is part of the story. And it's just sad um, how his time at Manchester United ended, um, how his time went at Manchester United, how it ended. There were good in it, there, there was good in it, but there was a lot of bad. It definitely ended in a bad way. And ultimately, his career, I think it sort of almost mirrors his career in regards to there's many sort of highlights of his career. You talk about the, the trophies he's won. You talk about some of his performances he put in. You talk about from a personal point of view, the money um, he has earned throughout his footballing career. And obviously, he scored in a World Cup final and won a World Cup. So there is many sort of good talking points and good memories in the Paul Pogba story. But there is also just as many negatives um, in regards to what could have been. Um, both on and off the field for Paul Pogba, and ultimately it has resulted in a short end, um, sort of a premature end to his career. And um, that's just sad because I do look at Paul Pogba when he was coming through, and I was thinking this before his first stint at Manchester United, before he got his debut, you're thinking if someone is going to break this uh, stranglehold on the Ballon d'Or between Ronaldo and Messi, you think if there's one player that's going to do it who's not that attacking player, it's Paul Pogba. He had it all. You just saw he had it all to sort of be everything in the game and... He did show that at times, but ultimately, to be the best, you can't show it at times. You have to show it week in, week out. And Paul Pogba just couldn't do that. Now, he can, as I say, sit there at the end of the day and say, look at my medals, I did this and that. And look at his bank account. It's obviously a very successful career. Um, he might think deep down he did um, achieve greatness. I think 
there was more to achieve for Paul Pogba, and especially at Manchester United. Now, some of that is Paul Pogba's fault. I don't think he covered himself in glory, especially those last couple of months, um, especially his last appearance. I still hold a lot of sort of frustration towards um, Paul Pogba in regards to the situation at Anfield in that early substitution. But that is a discussion for another day when we do discuss a Paul Pogba career in greater detail on this podcast. But my sort of, as I said, my overriding emotion is sad. Um, It's sad how it has ended. Just in regards to the specifics of it, do I think Paul Pogba is guilty or innocent or a little bit in between, Well, which a lot of these cases somewhat are. I have seen a lot of his defenders and, you know, the, the type on Twitter and YouTube in terms of Paul Pogba over the club and Paul Pogba over Solskjaer and, and Jose Mourinho, etc., who defend Paul Pogba to the hill, have come out and say, Paul Pogba wouldn't be taking drugs. He has a great passing range. He has a great first touch. He's got great head and ability. He's got great shooting. He doesn't need that. That's natural talent. Um, performance um, enhancing drugs that Paul Pogba definitely wouldn't be taking that. Simply, that's naive. Um, unfortunately, that is a naive take on it. Yeah, no, no performance enhancing drugs a player takes is going to improve someone's first touch or their passing range. That's not what they're doing. It is about recovery. And you do look at Paul Pogba's situation and his injury record. I'm not accusing him of taking drugs, but you just have to think, has there been a situation or has he come to the realisation where he's a little bit desperate and tried to sort of take a shortcut? And that's, a lot of players do do this. It's just the reality of the situation. Now, not a lot get caught because a lot of the doctors are ahead of, of the testers, and that is how um, the testers get their research. Um, they, they see, they, they find what a player or a doctor has done, then they can sort of add that to their database, and then they can go and find the players who are currently doing that. But the doctors are always one or two steps ahead. So has Paul Pogba and his team been extremely desperate and try to take a shortcut to get back to football and, and sort of get on top of an injury potentially. Yeah, so I, I don't want to accuse Paul Pogba of taking it, but you do have to look at both sides of the coin. It could be a tainted supplement. Um, it could be intent. You just never know. I, I think it will be held up for a while. He's taken it at the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Um, there is a situation where he's become desperate and looking for a way back. Um, the injuries he has had in recent years uh, must be taking its toll on his body and his mind. Or it could just be, as I said, um, a mistake and he, he gets knocked down to a year or a two-year ban. Oh, I'm not sure. But if they want to hang him out to, grow, hang him out to dry, a four-year ban will definitely do that. So um, it's sad what's happened to Paul Pogba. Some people will celebrate it. Some people will be angry. Um, as I said, um, hated, adored, never ignored. Um, that definitely sums up Paul Pogba. But to wrap that up, um, as I said at the start of the podcast, this trivia question somewhat is relatable to Paul Pogba. Being the last Frenchman to score in a cup final for Manchester United, can you name the other two? One of them should be easy. Eric Cantona, obviously, in the 96 FA Cup final and the 94 FA Cup final against Chelsea. The other one, have you got it? The answer is Louis Saha against Wigan in the 2006 League Cup final. So we have Eric Cantona, Louis Saha against Wigan um, in the League Cup final and obviously Paul Pogba in the Europa League final against Ajax, the three French players to score in Cup finals for Manchester United. So... Let me know if you got that one. Um, hopefully you did enjoy that podcast. As I said, never easy discussing a defeat, never easy discussing a Manchester Derby defeat and discussing a Derby defeat in that manner in regards to the difference in teams. Um, it is stark how much better they are than us at the moment. But hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, not too many toys were thrown out of the pram. Do let me know if there's anything you do want to see in the podcast moving forward in the future. Do let us know if you want to get in touch. As I said, big thanks to Jono last week. Thanks to Jules this week for jumping on and having a review with us. If you do want to review a match, preview a match, talk about a player, get in touch with me and we'll get you on the pod. Um, it's more than appreciated and definitely welcome. So um, as I said, you are holding your phone now. If you give us a review, rating or whatever your podcast app does allow, 
I'd very much appreciate that. And um, thanks for the support. And um, Everton next week. So we'll be back on Tuesday morning, Monday night in the UK um, with hopefully a positive discussion about three points and Manchester United moving in the right direction. But until then, have a good week and um, I'll chat to you soon. Cheers. 